Vundurish di Roturad Oskakma, Shedotorad la Roturad Dish Oskedis Sengurish Nautish Fisavage. Welcome to Khan Langry, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me down the road a ways is William Annis. Howdy. And we have a special guest today. Um, he uh, works with the um, Pecomel uh, Foundation. And he also uh, teaches at, uh, where is it you teach? <laughs> Madison College. Yeah, at Madison College. This is uh, Victor Raymond. Uh, and he's also, I guess, down the road a ways. Yep. Hello. Uh, Victor is going to be talking to us today. Our topic is a language that is very near and dear to him. That is uh, Tsoliani. And uh, we'll get more into details about that uh, uh, language created by M.A.R. Barker. So um, before we get into that, I have a few announcements we're going to um uh, go into first of all the as we are recording this we just came out of the uh, the LCS members meeting and I want to say congratulations to the new board members Jamin Johnson Jim Hopkins Jan van Steinbergen uh, Jeffrey Brown and also the new LCS secretary Tim Stoffel and uh to Sylvia Sotomayor for being reelected as the treasurer. Yay! Clap, clap, clap. Confetti. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing, uh, as this podcast comes comes out, Lexember will be underway. That means uh, that if you don't know what Lexember is, it's a big event in some some of the conlanging communities where a bunch of conlangers. Uh, create one word every day and we all share it around. And I will be looking at the, the hashtag on Twitter. And, um, if people are sharing things on Tumblr too, I'll probably look there and, you know, uh, judiciously resharing certain things. I'll probably also have a short around the beginning of the year. That's, uh, like I did last year. That's a, uh, wrap up of Lexember highlighting some interesting words. And um, another thing, uh, we are having a um, an episode coming up that's going to be talking about all kinds of book resources that will be useful to conlangers, and we'd like your suggestions. So you can send those to conlanger at gmail.com. What, what books you like? What co- books do you think every conlanger should have on their shelves? All of them. <laughs> that's uh something we wanted to get some input you can also tweet us and everything uh and finally a new website site is being worked on bianca is working on that she agreed to do that to for us for free and uh we are going to have that uh ready fairly soon i won't put a firm deadline on it but uh uh, expect some changes to the Conlangery site sometime in the future. Okay, 
So that was all the announcements. And uh, let's move into Tsoliani. So, Victor, you're the expert on, on this. Why don't you just introduce us to Tsoliani? And um, you personally knew the, the creator of the language. So um, tell, tell us a little bit about um, M.I.R. Barker and about uh, Tsoliani just to introduce us. I, I, when you said expert, I thought to myself, "Oh dear, <laughs> I, 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 I should probably warn your listeners that I'm I'm a sociologist, not a linguist by training, um, but I I have some familiarity with Soliani as a constructed language, and that came about because of my uh, friendship, long-standing friendship with Professor M. A. R. Barker, uh, Professor Barker." Uh, was a professor of South Asian languages at the University of Minnesota for many years. And uh, in addition to his linguistics work, which included work on the Klamath language and then on Urdu, uh, Professor Barker invented his own language. Uh, and in fact, in more than one in relation to the fantasy world that he had constructed, uh, which is called Tecumel or Tecumel. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was something that uh, Professor Barker had started in on at a very young age um, in an article that was published in 1975 uh, in the predecessor to the Dragon magazine. Uh, he writes uh, that he uh, it his creation of the language and the creation of the world uh, happened at a very young age. As he writes here, I began my war games in much the usual way. A little army of World War I toy toy soldiers lovingly assembled from the magic arsenals of the dime stores. My parents' emphasis upon classical fairy stories, history, and literature rather spoiled my interest in the realities of present-day warfare, however. And this was reinforced by such books as J.A. Hammerton's Wonders of the Past, Mm -hmm. a marvelous set of books for a child if you want him or her to grow up to be an ancient history freak. (laughs) All of this was further influenced by such films as The Thief of Baghdad, and before I was consciously aware of it, Solyanu, which is the country, parenthetically, that uh, he created for his language, seems to have emerged. And he writes, I have no real conscious recollection of this development. And it ended up being the case, to paraphrase his his much longer account, uh, that uh, he created it when he was a small child, when he had uh, first gotten the idea from listening to other children in his Idaho town where he grew up, uh, speaking a language he didn't understand. Uh, he recalled it being Bosque if he, you know, he wasn't absolutely sure, but he was fairly sure it was Bosque. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that, and along with an interest, as I've already mentioned, uh, he created a world and he created a language to go along with it. And that language, Soliani, was something that he worked on for the next 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so from the time that he ended up going to high school and then going to graduate school at, uh, University of California, Berkeley, and then going on from there on a Fulbright scholarship to uh, study in India and Pakistan. Uh, He 
uh, ended up doing a great deal of linguistics work. Uh, and he writes this here, my subsequent studies, travel, and research have not done much to change any of these languages, the ones that he created. I have written a grammar, dictionary, and texts of Klamath, an American Indian language of Oregon, four books on Urdu, one of the major languages of India and Pakistan, and a two-volume course on Baluchi, plus studying umpteen others and teaching some of them, yet Soyani continues to develop along its own individual lines as before. And so in 1975, he uh, published a game uh, much in the same vein as Dungeons and Dragons called Empire of the Petal Throne, which was the world's first real introduction to all of this. And uh, an intricately de detailed world with uh, a massive history to it and uh, a language that everyone was both uh, amazed and enchanted by and sometimes daunted by. And so uh, if Tolkien took his inspiration from Northern Europe, Professor Barker took his inspiration from India and the Maya and Aztecs and Arab mythology. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's an interesting parallelism that's been noted by others, is we have two old dudes, basically, trained in not directly the classical tradition necessarily, but part of that background. That was the air they were breathing. Mm -hmm. Created worlds, created languages from a very young age, and then later turned them into some sort of art for popular consumption. Tolkien wrote novels. Barker made war games. And and also wrote novel, novels later. Oh, he he did write novels later. Yeah. Yes, yeah. He actually wrote two novels, which were published in the 1980s, and then uh, three more novels after that, and an unfinished fourth novel at the time of his death in 2011. Hmm. So, the fact that it got incorporated into a role playing game is really interesting to me, though, because I have heard of like. Conlangers now that are sort of using their languages in like their own uh role playing campaigns mm -hmm. and it's it's definitely an interesting way to share it, especially uh going to the extent that Barker did and actually publishing his setting because then basically you get give pull out the whole setting and you've got basically the 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 language uh and the other languages of uh of this world he has uh quite a few actually that he mm -hmm. created most of the in the same language family those all become you know extra splat books for whoever wants to you know get further into the world can buy those language books yeah uh Soliani is the most complete of all of them. Uh, Professor Barker uh, wrote uh, a two-volume set called the Soliani Language, which was uh, he published originally in 1978, then it was re-released by Adventure Games a couple of years later. And then along with that, he published a number of other articles about different languages related to Soliani, and some not related to Soliani at all, but... Uh, Phil, as he was known to his friends, uh, was a man of many talents. <laughs> he would be exactly the sort of fellow to come up with an entire language family and then also write articles about languages not in that language family that were all created. Mm -hmm. So, 
normally, when we talk about both conlangs and, and natural languages on the show, we try to do so. Um, we try to pick things where we can point people to free re- resources, which we really can't do for Tolyani. Um, you can buy them at quite PDFs of these things at quite reasonable prices from what's it RPG? What's the name of the website? DriveThroughRPG.com. Right. They have them for quite reasonable. I'm lucky enough to have hunted down and found the two volume Tolyani language, um, which the, the language description itself is 60 intensely packed pages. Yes. It's, it's super dense. dense. Yeah. And did he type this up himself or did he write this and have somebody type for him? Uh, judging by the typeface and presentation, Professor Barker wrote this himself. And not only did he write this and type this himself, but because the accent isn't predictable, either primary or secondary, he has gone through and by hand, it looks like, marked accents everywhere. Not every, Actually, they look, they look typed, but some of them, I've seen some documentation where they look handwritten in. Oh, it's it's quite possible. Uh, <laughs> he, Professor Barker uh, typed this out and then put the and and uh, if if necessary, ended up adding accent marks as needed. He owned typewriters that had uh, a wide range of accent marks available, right. uh, partly simply because he was working in non-European languages non-indo-european languages for the most part yeah he did so there there were uh, there are a few places where he might have had to because he has one character that's a, a u with an umlaut yep and uh sometimes he has to put an acute accent over that i don't know it's hard to say whether that one looks like he had to sort of position it in a way that he might have had to handwrite it or something Right. And, I, and, I, go ahead. Oh, no, just simply that uh, uh, he was a stickler for making sure that everything was as it should be. Uh, I, in going through his notes and novels and other materials, we have to work pretty hard in order to find uh, lots and lots of errors. Uh, you know proofreading errors in his his materials and presentation uh he uh very much uh this this sort of fellow who would um he created a world he uh got trained in uh key lining and typesetting by his father uh he was self-trained in in various different forms of uh uh hobbies and and uh you know arts and uh, he was pretty good at a lot of them. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I'm I'm not surprised as you go through that you you might find that he's he's had to put in uh, handwritten accents on top of some of it. But for the most part, I suspect that he did almost everything he could on on a typewriter. Right. He thought that computers were wonderful, except when he broke them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the dictionary is a hundred and thirty pages, and I did a very rough count, and it looks like there's about. 2,000 to 2,200 words in the published version of the language, and I have to assume that there were other things. Which is a very respectable number. That is a very respectable number. Um, Some of them are, some of the vocabulary are just glosses, but most of the word definitions are more sophisticated than that. They're not huge. 
um, in the way that I enjoy so much, but most of them are, are pretty, pretty good. Um, I suppose it's relevant to mention, Victor, that you are part of the Tecumel Foundation. Could we uh, yes. describe that briefly and then we can move on to some of the... Sure. Uh, the Tecumel Foundation was started by Professor Barker and a number of his regular uh, game players uh, in 2008, uh, myself among them. And we started it in order to uh, preserve and promote uh, uh, Professor Barker's uh, creative uh, work. Um, while he was alive, we acted to support his own efforts at making Tecumel available to the world. And after he passed away, uh, we continued to promote his creative legacy. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so the game can still be had. Yep, for any absolutely. Gamers out there who want to give the system a try. We just re-released the Tecumel Sourcebook, which can be purchased online from rpgnow.com or drivethroughrpg.com. Uh, and it's uh, a reprint of the original Game Science Edition. Right. So I think probably what's going to happen is George and I will talk some a little bit about some of the linguistic stuff going on here, which will be interesting to our audience. But then I'd like to come back to the question of how both the language might be used in game, if at all, mm-hmm. um, and uh, sort of relate the world building in the language a little bit. Um, since you had the opportunity to play the game for many years with Barker, that will mm-hmm. provide some insights. George. Yeah. Want to talk about some of the fun language things. Yeah. So like starting off as we usually do start with sort of phonology, nothing really sticks out too, too uh, hard on, on me there. It's just, there's a straight voicing distinction in stops and um there's a a um there's uh you can see some of his influences in terms of other languages he got a you know a retroflex uh presumably influence from indian languages he's got like the uh some uvulars and and uh the uh voiceless lateral probably came from uh, knowing some things about uh, American Indian languages. The one interesting little tidbit is, so the the vowels, there's a vowel, five-vowel system plus this vowel that he represents with a U-umlaut. It can be E, a front-rounded vowel, or a back-unrounded vowel, E, e bet- depending on the dialect. Yes. Which is, it's a very odd thing to me, but it, it interested me. I don't know, like, what really to say about it, but... Uh, I, I just know. imagined that it was originally central and then moved around. Yeah, maybe it was some sort of s- central vowel. Uh, I didn't uh, I didn't uh, look at the Engsvenjali grammar. Uh, Tsoliani is... Within the world, a descendant of Engsvenjali, but uh, I guess if I looked at uh, Engsvenjali, maybe I could figure out like where that is coming from. But yeah, that that seems to be the most likely scenario that it was like central and went in two directions. Uh, and he was definitely thinking about historical stuff. If mm-hmm. you read the grammar, he 
regularly mentions this is, you know, descended from blah, blah, blah. Um, with some good, just sort of solid grammaticalization stuff as well. Not just this came from some inspired historical language, but it, you know, it's, it can give you the original full word that this bit of grammaticalization started from. So that's pretty good. Oh yeah. It's, it's very much full of grammaticalization and, uh, that really gets it going when, when he goes into the morphology, he's, arranges it in terms of like uh word classes and you know starting with the nouns the nouns are uh i think what i said was they are a the a crazy pile up of agglutination and they yes. get very very long they can get very very long and that's so interesting i'm so accustomed to um languages where it's the verb that gets all of this attention mhm the tolyani verb is quite straightforward yeah, there's not too much to verbs. There's, there's I mean, a bit there's, of inflection, there, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a, a bit of inflection. Tense aspect stuff that's quite subtle and complicated is handled in separate words, um, whether you wish to interpret those as auxiliaries or um, particles is up to you. Um, so it's not like they're just straight English, but the noun gets a lot of loving attention. Yes. Uh, I, I feel like I want to... Um read this this thing that uh, you you call the emperor but i have a feeling that i'm going to mess mess it up but uh so an example the the j is just a, is a ya or is no, it no it's a it's a ja it's a ja okay so an example of just how long things can go uh masun jaga prumol tokuntul tupantup tuplan Columel dali dali sa nikel. <laughs> Tuplan columel dali dali sa. Oh, dali dali sa. No, this this had uh, sanikel at the end. Anyway, oh, sanikel. Ah, uh, chaguk. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Um. Yeah, right. Uh, it's so rare a day to actually be addressing the emperor. Yes. So this is the the word that I. I just read it translates to that distant one most great mighty living emperor whom I love consider omnipotent uh, and of whom I stand in awe. So that is basically one noun that I just read. Obviously, so anything that refers directly to the emperor or the empress gets really really long. Mm-hmm. But but though the um if we go into if we went into the sort of the different affixes you can you can see sort of where all these things go there's so the demonstratives get like prefixed onto the noun then there's a bunch of quantifiers there are these uh personal attitude prefixes and uh general attitude suffixes which um some of the personal attitude prefixes are sort of tense like things like yesterday or last year uh or future but there's also sort of your someone's personal feelings about something involved in that right um, and then the there's the general attitude suffixes which are um a little bit more there's more they're supposed to be like shared feelings of everybody and um uh there's things like great or pretty or beautiful 
um, in that thing, uh, it's a, that I read there's, um, Dali Dali, which is Dali means, uh, sort of big or great, and it can be reduplicated for emphasis. And, um, there's also Dali. There's Dali and that's Dali. Dali. Yeah, Dali is beautiful, right? Right. Yes. They're very, they're close to one another. Great and beautiful are, are similar to one another. Not yes. the same. And, um, there's possessive suffixes. Uh, there's some, some, uh, I think, uh, locative case prefixes. Right. And there's the noble, ignoble, plural suffixes. So noble and noble and ignoble are the gender system. Yeah. Noun um, classes. Uh, William, would you want to talk a little bit about that or, um, so some bits of how these, uh, work makes me think a bit of the Uto Aztecan languages. So in those languages, you have something called the absolutive, which has nothing whatsoever to do with ergative absolutive alignment. Um, it's just that, um, unmodified nouns being used in a sentence take absolutive endings unless they are possessed or they're being used as part of compounds. Um, so you can't just have this bare noun stem hanging out. Something has to happen to it. And in Solyani, you have the noble endings and the ignoble endings and a small class that aren't um, overtly marked. Which are um, really rare. <laughs> they are rare. And that's for things that are obviously and intensely obviously where they belong. And so they need to be marked. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the noble ignoble is uh, mixed codes on sex somewhat. Uh, it's not – there might be one temptation to say that it's completely sex-based, but any female royalty is also sort of raised to the noble class. So it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, the noble ignoble endings go away if a – case prefix is added. So that I thought was really interesting. And that what really made me think of things like some of the Uto Aztecan languages, um, the plural doesn't code any of these things. There's just a code, uh, a plural ending. Um, and I think if they're used in compound, yes, if they're used in compounds, then the, the, the suffixes aren't used. Yeah. And just to like clarify what the, the noble ignoble thing is, is that the, the, the semantic basis of it is partly sort of like social prestige and social status. And women by default are ignoble and men by default are noble, but very lower, low class men can get to the ignoble and then very high class women can be, um, noble. Right. So, uh, the this language, I wrote in my notes. This language hates women very much. I'm not sure that's true. It's not. I, I. It's. It's. It is a curious example of if you and and I say this from the context of gameplay. The language itself may code for you know male and female nobility and ignobility, but I assure you that if you spoke in a fashion that was not appropriate to a woman of of any status whatsoever you would quickly find out what what was wrong <laughs> right uh, and 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 i get this is a case i i mean 
without I, I'm not a, I'm not actually trying to defend the characterization because I think on an abstract level I think you're right. Um, I think it's a case of where the language abstractly has that character to it, but in terms of how it was conveyed culturally, it it is lessened significantly. Yeah, and when I say this language hates women, it's it's not really. I don't really want to, I, I'm sort of exaggerating my point a little bit. There are weird things like the genderedness of um, ignoble and noble and the, the, the way that gender gets involved in choice of pronouns, which we'll get into in a little bit. And then there's also the suffix like ra that means despicable or Female, Igno. Yeah. despicable or female, but I think it's 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 clearly a case of culturally, you're pretty clear as to what you're talking about, right? And they don't mean. I mean, it depends on where you are. Uh, in Southern Solyanu, there may be a greater sense of that. Although, really, I don't know if we ever really encountered that. But the further north you go, the more matriarchal, the more equality there is of sexes, and ah. so I. Uh, yeah, it's it's and Professor Barker wrote about this. But yeah, I mean, if you went south from the city of Jakala, north along the Suma River to the city of Besi, uh, which is the imperial capital, uh, you would find that uh, that the the social structure of Solyani society would would subtly change from being fairly patriarchal to being. Uh, more equal. And if you went north from there to the uh, north of Tsoyanu to Kirgar, and then uh, further north into the country of Yankor, well, the Yankoriani are known to be very matriarchal in their approach to social interaction. Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, as you can see, I, I, I feel like I've lived there. That's yeah. The, that's, that's very a good interesting context to have when we're talking about this then because the basically the idea i got just from reading the the tsoliani language um i i got that um i bought the pdfs for that um the idea i got was that this language is reflecting a very patriarchal society and to know that there's more nuance to that in the world is an interesting thing to know now that you've uh, talked about it. Well, the, the to the Tsoyani, the organizing concepts of what we would think of as good and bad or good and evil mm-hmm. um, are not very... The, the Tsoyani do not relate to those very well. To them, good and evil, uh, they think of almost directly as being very a, a very subjective evaluation. Well, it's good for you, right? Well, that's bad. Well, yeah, I can see how you'd feel that way, right? Mm-hmm. But to the Tsoyani, the the organizing concepts of of how to act mm-hmm. uh revolve around this idea of nobility and ignobility and to be noble is to fulfill your your station, to fulfill your your place in society, to be who you are is supposed to and be expected to be. Uh, and, you know, and, and that, that is denoted by the Tsoyani word, Khomayi. And the, and, and, you know, by contrast, you know, to not fulfill one's place in society, to, 
to act ignobly, well, that's kramoyi. Mm. Okay, so notice that that, that ra, uh, in this case prefix, ends up being the, the, the defining characteristic there, komoyi and ramoyi. But then that then as far as women are concerned, you know, yes, you know, that the, you know, the, the, uh, the suffix ra is used to indicate the feminine gender. But in Soyani society, if a woman wants to be treated equally uh, as a man, uh, she can uh, publicly declare uh, upon reaching adulthood that she is going to be considered aradani. Mm-hmm. And uh, and after that, she is treated as a man. That is a social status. Hmm. So, yeah, the the language of noble ignoble sort of complicates this issue. Mm-hmm. It's normal for um, simple gender systems, which this effectively is, to start bundling things funny because the ignoble ending is used for very routine grammatical matters that have nothing whatsoever, where it makes no sense for a verbal action to be described as noble or ignoble at all, and yet they're always marked ignoble because that's just the rule. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be taken into consideration as well. I do think it's interesting to point out that this game system is so unlike anything remotely like um, the many systems that basically Tolkien inspired. Um, even though there is a word for dragon in the dictionary, this is not a world of knights and elves. It's true. This is a, an, a, a, a cultured, sophisticated um, f- world with fiendishly complex social expectations and relationships and politics. And I, that's actually something I actually wanted to ask about because this the this this setting the the game setting is supposed to use be you know developed for dungeons and dragons but the way the world is constructed does not really lead me to the idea of a traditional dungeons and dragons dungeon crawl, crawl game where you're just killing monsters it makes me think more of like more like story stick diceless even uh systems that are all about interaction and role playing and stuff what kind of systems do you usually use when you're doing running games, Victor? Oh my! I'll uh, <laughs> uh, uh, see get here. Let me let me give you. There, there's two pieces to this that are worth noting. One is that uh, when Professor Barker originally developed Empire of the Petal Throne, what had happened was that he had been introduced to Dungeons and Dragons even before it had been published in 1974. Mm-hmm. Okay. He encountered it in 1973 and he played in some games that had been run because, uh, he knew, uh, some of well, he was the faculty advisor for the conflict simulation association at the university of Minnesota, which was a student organization for gamers at the time. And his first impression of D and D was very simple. Well, this is all very well and good because he recognized its inspiration out of fantasy, but where's the society? Mm -hmm. And in fact, empire of the pedal throne was pretty much his response to that. He said, you know, it's great that there's a game for people who wish to be heroic, but they have to have a world as a backdrop, as something to interact with. And I just happen to have this world that I've been developing since I was a small child. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and that was very much his approach to it, was that he felt that the world was a necessary aspect of making the game meaningful. Uh, the sort of games that he ran later, uh, frankly, disposed of most of the game mechanics that he originally came up with that looked an awful lot like original Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. And instead, what he did was he just simply... Uh, rolled dice and pursued a very freeform narrative kind of storytelling uh, approach. Okay. How long did you play the game continuously? Uh, I was a member of the what we refer to as the Thursday night group for approximately 25 years. Right. There were, there were a couple of breaks that I took in there, one uh, partly for graduate school, one partly because my job interfered at the time. Mm-hmm. But that was, I mean, that was a... Uh, a couple of years. So yeah, I mean, 20, 25 years is pretty much how long I played. Okay. Hmm. Um, George, is there anything else we want to talk about the grammar? Well, um, definitely, um, the, the, the other like thing that sticks out is the pronouns. Right. Uh, yes. And there's there's a lot of social like social interaction stuff that goes in. Uh the main thing I want to to talk about with the pronouns. So first person and second person pronouns have these different class versions and it goes from like v- lowest class there's like 1 2 3 4 5 6 levels for the first person pronouns. Um, that go from like the very lowest classes of like, th- these are like slaves and such up to there's one pronoun that's only used for the emperor or the empress. So the interesting thing here is not so much this, that sort of set, but the fact that he actually goes into some depth on who would use these pronouns uh, with whom. Right. And especially when you get into the second person, because there's a lot of special second person pronouns that are just for specific relationships. And this is the model I would follow if you want to have just tons of pronouns that have all sorts of politeness interactions. Because when you have even, even, very simple, uh, you know, distinctions between, uh, you know, a, a simple like to vous, vous, uh, distinction in pronouns, uh, up to these really complicated politeness systems. It's all about the relationship between the two people talking. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, very much so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there, there's, you know, very simple things like in the first person pronouns um, among people of equal nobility, women use lower pronouns, right? People of equal class, women will uh, like not take themselves a notch down if it's a mixed group. And there are a whole lot of situations where you might choose a pronoun that's, that's lower in case in, in sense uh, than your actual class when talking to someone higher, but you never are presumptuous and take the higher level for yourself because that would just be rude. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, in fact actually there's the uh uh the pronoun that's used. <laughs> if you think that someone has been pushing their social status uh too much. Uh yeah. you know, the the and if you were to refer to them as uh Keshitsam. Yes. Yes, the you of placid indifference to social inferiors who appear to be pushing for undeserved respect. Right. Yeah. So, this list of pronouns on page 17, do these get pulled out during games? Where oh, yeah. <laughs> people are, you know, obviously expecting people to speak Solyani for a game isn't reasonable, but you can go in and grab things for flavor. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, actually, one of the things that we ended up doing over time was we would, as players, we would start work, we would try to get into the mindset of the Tsoyani, and we would do that using the language in order to, uh, um, as, as, as part of our guide. And, and yeah. So, which, you know, the, um, uh, which pronouns got used was actually something that you know we'd think about. We'd have to think about. I mean, who are we? Um, who are we talking to, right? Right. And and have to uh, actually, you know, you know, pay attention to these things. And and some of this is that, like for example, there there are some that that uh, make sense because if you're if someone is is not human, if there's one of the alien species, you know, you might use um, one of the uh, uh, one of the forms that that basically recognizes that. Mm. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, perhaps a, a bit more directly, uh, the the you uh, the of polite anonymity. You know, if you can't figure out. I mean, I thought it was very interesting that he included this. But if you can't figure out what your precise social relationship is, there's nothing wrong with referring to someone as Tusmiketlan, uh, you know, which is to say, I I recognize you as a person, a respectable person, but I'm not quite sure what our relationship is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that would get used. Uh, and and we would actually work that a little bit. We would we would in fact try to get phrases uh, into use that we would be familiar with, and and we'd use them probably in much the same way as as American tourists going to other countries trying to you know fit in as much as they could with a language they were unfamiliar with. You know, so using phrases like chiguk. Uh, uh, which is say thank you, you know that that mm-hmm. that would be a common occurrence. Uh, but the opportunities, as I mentioned before, to use tokun tus medalisa, the you of odd splendor, odd wonder, to a prince or princess who is an heir to the petal throne. It's like, um, yeah, we we occasionally did have interactions with imperial princes and princesses. In which case, you'd better know exactly what your Soliani was going to be because you'd get graded on it. I mean, uh, <clears throat> it would affect how the game, game went. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, so yeah, I guess encounters with like the emperor himself are not <laughs> too frequent at all. Oh no. Yeah. No. Um, the, the one thing that I would did want to ask just as a ran, uh, a, a simple like words 
question is, so um, the first person singular pronoun that no one in the game would ever use, Kosalum, uh, which is reserved explicitly for the emperor or the empress. Right. The 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 question the the just a, a random question I had there was like you said it says the empress do is that um the the question was like can women rule in their own right? Oh yeah. In, in take okay. Oh yeah. So Absolutely. oh oh yes. Now there have been uh the Empress Shairasu, the Empress uh, Vayumasu, her uh who she was related to directly, uh uh oh and even historically, uh, Queen Nayari of the Benalgian period. Oh yes, no, there's quite a history of of uh powerful women in historically and in contemporaneous times. Okay. So I- internally you can have like an empress that's ruling is that Kosa, Kosalum only for an empress that's ruling or can it, you know, can it be used by Empress Dowager or Empress Consort? Uh, yeah, if, it's, that, if it's not something you know, then it, it was well, just a I, I can I can speculate on that slightly. Yeah. Because the, the, um, the Soliani have a custom that when an emperor or empress dies, the next emperor or empress is not chosen by primogenitor. Okay. Uh, but through a competition, a formal competition, which is held uh, called the Kolume Jalim. Mm-hmm. And the Kolume Jalim, the choosing of emperors, it, basically every extant imperial prince and princess when the emperor or empress dies is required by uh, custom to declare if they are going to, as they say, stand for the gold or go for the gold. That is to say, they are going to attempt to, uh, they're going to compete in the choosing of emperors. And uh, they, they don't have to. They can mm-hmm. renounce the gold. They can stand back from it and say, eh, I'm, I'm perfectly happy the way I am. I don't need to try for that. Uh, and nothing's thought any less of them for having done so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still members of the Tlacotani clan. They're still of incredibly high social status. And they still are accorded great you know, respect and social standing. Uh, but then the ones that compete... Well, the winner of the competition is uh, coronated as the next emperor or empress, and the others are sacrificed to Dortmala. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, <So>. then. <laughs> well, you know, hey, you know, you either get it or you don't. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, and it's considered very noble. You know, it's it's like this is this is the thing. This is the ultimate moment in life, right? And so then the emperor or empress then is... Uh, very carefully inducted into uh, the imperial palace of Avanthar and uh, then lives the rest of their life in splendid isolation attended only by the servitors in silence uh, and uh, and very occasionally uh, have consorts brought to them in the uh, Golden Tower. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, yeah, 
It's, it, you know, you are going to spend the rest of your life in splendid isolation. Okay. Uh, and it is, it, and as a result then, uh, yeah, uh, there's been only one, only one emperor who uh, broke the isolation of the Golden Tower historically. And, uh-huh. uh I mean, it, there, there's this whole long history behind all of this, and and like I said, I feel like I've lived there. So there's a there's a way in which for me it's kind of like, oh yes, oh you're speaking of Emperor Hejeka, the heretic. Yes, him, right? Uh, <laughs> so so you're, you know, the from your explanation, what I gather is that basically this would only be for the ruling emperor or empress because just the 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 method of selection and the 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 isolation involved makes me think that you know it's only that specific person that gets special status and even necessarily you know wives or husbands don't even get that right. status so much right yeah now now mind you there would be i could i mean if you'll notice for example the eye of the noble class is salum Mm-hmm. And the emperor empress is Kosalum. Mm-hmm. And so there there are circumstances where something, you know, uh, I there are circumstances where you might find somebody using it who, who might not be an emperor empress. But what they're saying by saying it is that they fully intend to be. If, and uh, that can only happen when there's a time of, you know, if they're not chosen to be emperor empress, that's because civil war is broken up. Uh-huh. Yeah, but basically, otherwise, you know, they they're in fear of punishment if they they tried to to use that, right? Right. But uh, yeah, if right. They're... So la- language is war by other means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and the thing about this is that you, I, I would suspect um, you would find, for example, uh, someone who I I am sure there's a construction which which prof, which Professor Barker has not gone into here, where someone who is the dowager consort of an emperor or empress has a particular way in which they refer to themselves that is more than salum, but not quite the same as kosalum. Right. So there 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 might be other ranks above that that like even i mean the idea of someone in the game getting into the imperial palace i think from from the way that you describe it is is a very small possibility maybe if you have like saved the entire uh empire somehow but uh even then it, the, the way this works is that the imperial palace at Avanthar is a is a mighty mountain. It is it is a cliff face that uh, uh, bisects a, a rivers that come together at its base, and that at the very top of Avanthar there is the golden tower. And the golden tower is where the emperor or empress lives, but the rest of the palace is the it it, it is the imperial court. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, it, it it is where uh, some imperial politicking takes place. The rest of it takes place in BC. Mm-hmm. But the thing the thing about it is that yes, you could be brought to 
the uh, into the presence of the emperor. The emperor sits behind a jade screen, and a small lantern is lit, and to indicate the presence of the the imperial presence. And all the time that this is going on, that there are singers who endlessly chant the praises of the emperor, empress. Then this is going on in the background as someone might be presented to the emperor, empress, uh, and in so doing. Uh, may be granted a boon or favor uh, if they're lucky. Uh, if they're very unlucky, you know, to hear the sentence of whatever dire fate awaits them. Mm-hmm. So. So, anyway, that was that was a, a longer digression than I expected. But, Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, no, it's all, it's all very good stuff. Let's actually sort of move along then since we've gotten into talking about the world and everything uh we wanted to get into sort of what is the internal history of the Tsoyani language there's quite a bit of um i mentioned before that it's derived it's that it has an in-world ancestor Engsvenyali mm-hmm. um there's you know, a lot of interesting stuff that uh, goes in. Like he quotes basically fictional grammarians that are in the world, which I really love that is because they, he even like disagrees with some, some silly prescriptivists in, in the con, con world. But um, mm-hmm. uh, what is generally the history of Tsoyani and related languages? Well, the Tsoyani is one of the members of the Kaishan language group, which derives from it, the previous language of Engsvanyali, which uh, was the language spoken uh, in what is thought of by the Tsoyani and the other empires as being sort of the golden age of Tecumel, that uh, Engsvanyalu, the realm of the priest kings, stretched for thousands of miles, thousands of ton. And um, uh, Engsvanyalu fell uh, due to a cataclysm which uh, resulted in the capital of the priest kings being uh, suffering an earthquake and then sinking into the sea. Uh, And this led to a period of uh, sort of an interregnum uh, and out of that arose five different empires, uh, and uh, each one of those uh, has a language that is more or less related to the others. Uh, and Soyani is the one that is uh, the Soyani. Not too surprisingly, think of it themselves as being the the closest lineal descendants of the Angsvanyali. Mm. Uh, the Mugalavyani and the Salarvyani and the Livyani and the Ankoryani would probably all dispute that. <laughs> uh, but uh, as languages go linguistically, you know, historically within the world, uh, there was uh, Engsvenyali, which was then followed by classical Tsoyani, uh, which bears a relationship to modern Tsoyani not unlike old English to English. Mm. Uh, I, I hesitate to be too precise about that. 
it is not it is not easily understood by anyone in the in the modern day of the of the world. Uh, and classical Soyani uh, developed over time uh, into modern Soyani. And uh, Soyani, I mean, the, the Soyani take the attitude that the language it's important to get it right uh, as a cultural value. So they're 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 picky about that. And there are some dialects that you find in different parts of Soyanu. You'll find in the islands to the southwest, um, the uh, the island of Vra. Vrayani has a somewhat different construction to uh, some words and uh, to uh, grammatical structure. Uh, similar sorts of things happen on the borders of the empire near uh, in the, the Chakan protectorates or off in the city of Socatus. One's to the west, the other's to the east. And in each case, they worry that there's more borrowing of words from Ugalaviani and from Salarviani. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, it's the sort of thing that you would expect that would take place in a real world, which is to say the languages themselves vary uh, somewhat from place to place simply because of the interactions of culture and society. So uh, I, I don't know if I've, I've given the, the full history there on that, but that that's the, the sort of in-world history of it, that's, as it were. That's, that's, that's really an interesting thing to, to hear that. So uh, do in, in games, did you ever sort of interact with the other empires? Oh like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have campaigns where there was a war between two empires or Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. things like that. <laughs> yeah, there's uh one of the major aspects of Professor Barker's campaign from the very beginning was the conflict between Soyanu and Yankor. Mhm. And um it, it's funny. Um the Soyani tend to think of the Yankoriani as having a rather uh, somewhat uh, harsh language. Um, it's it's all short words and very um, um, sort of consonant driven, um, and they end up the the Yankoriani are you know think of the think of Soyani as being an an an, an overly elaborate language. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. You know, and and then you know other other comparisons. Uh, the Mukhlaviani tend to think that the Soyani aren't. You know, of course they they the the Soyani are noble, but they don't really have it exactly the way it should be because, of course, the Mukhlaviani think that their way of looking at the world and speaking is correct. The languages are somewhat similar to one another and use a similar script system. But they, you know, the societies are different, uh, and and so on. I mean, each each one of the the five empires has both its idealized depiction of itself and a somewhat stereotypical view of the other four. Right, as you would expect, as, as you would, would expect. as you would expect, and you know, and that shows up in in language and interaction. Um, there's actually a rather interesting article which I will see if I can make available of professor barker wrote this from the perspective of a mugalaviani scholar writing about how the yan koreani approached theology uh-huh. 
Okay. And it's it it is one side comment after another of this Mukulavyani scholar saying, well, the Ankarayani call this god by this name, but we know that that's wrong and that the real name for that god is this instead. You know. And the Yankrayani think this, but that's wrong. And we know better, and as we do here in Mugavya, we you know, and the and those Ifit Sulyani do it this other way, but they're wrong too. You know, so uh that's it's 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 a very it's it's one of the few places where I think Professor Barker indulged that sense of kind of cultural uh subjectivity. Uh that that uh, he suggests at different points in the language, but you know, doesn't come across quite as you know readily unless you actually had the interaction. That is that is uh, a fun fun thing to think about. Of you know, oh well, if this is a real world, then these people have different attitudes about each other's cultures and languages. So. It makes perfect sense to make the that uh, that idea of okay, here is what the uh, what the uh, uh, I I will not remember the names the Muugalaviani or whatever. Think of the Muugalaviani. Muugalaviani. Hey, that was really good. And and you know they they'll all have their own ideas about each other. Um, that's definitely a good thing. I think that's that you see a lot of that depth of world building in the language document itself in that, again, as I said, he quotes uh, Soliani grammarians and uh, sometimes, and, uh, you know, one time he says that well actually the grammarians the Tsoliani grammarians are wrong they uh they they uh oversimplify the way their language works in this one place uh there's and so and he you know is talking about you know also the the differences between the different languages in that document i haven't actually i have all the pdfs for all of the languages but i haven't read the other ones i focused mainly on the tsoliani language um by the way there is the resources for tsoliani itself are that two volume set Mm -hmm. And Victor, you actually wrote the the Tsoliani primer, right? Oh no, no, no! That oh, was not me. That was Curtis Scott. Curtis Scott. Okay. Yes. I thought your and name was on it. I guess I, I may. I believe that I I scanned that in and made it available. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, Curtis Curtis is no longer with us either, which is unfortunate. He's uh, he was quite the scholar. If there was anybody who was an expert in Tsoliani besides Professor Barker, it would have been Curtis Scott. And unfortunately, yes. both he and the professor are no longer with us. Right. But uh, that is actually more of a teaching document if you people wanted to actually learn Tsoyani. Yeah, and, uh, and we encourage you. Yes. <laughs> There's also a Tsoyani Facebook group. Yes. Uh, which uh, my friend Malcolm Heath is one of the consistent posters to and helps run. Uh, and uh, 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 oh goodness! Um, let's see here. In, in addition to that, 
someone who's been working very hard on this is a mutual Ray. friend of ours, uh, Gray Richardson. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm. I encourage everyone to be a part of that. It's the the Soliani language uh, group on Facebook has um, actually it's a it is a section of a Soliani document uh, that Professor Barker had created many years ago. Uh, this is um, a land grant in the Karanon Protectorate, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. uh, to the Shipali family. Uh, and, uh, the reason why I know this is because it was something that he had put together as, uh, something related to some of the proto gaming role-playing that he had done with other grad students when he was at Berkeley. One of those graduate students was, uh, at the time was Bill Shipley. Mm -hmm. And so the Shipley. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 The little, the little, yes, little Easter eggs for people. Oh, um, absolutely. George, I have a list of some fun vocabulary I wanted to talk about, but other than that, I don't know that there's much to say. We've sort of skipped over details of the grammar in favor of talking about how it's used in the game, and I think that's fine. Um, the grammar is pretty good. There's lots of details of George have said. Um, lots of subtle things, no crazy morphology. And, and, we know that the grammar is not available for free, but it's re- very reasonably pl- priced, and I think it—I think it's a really good example of how to write a grammar for a language that's in a con world that you want. If you want to go into like all this depth of like social use of the language and such, so right. yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, other than what we've covered, I think, uh, I've covered, um, uh, most of the things that I, 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 uh, wanted to cover. So yeah, have, have at your, your interesting lexical items there. So I just went trolling through the dictionary. Um, one thing to note and from previous conversations, Victor's, I know that it mattered in game is there are lots of words for in-world things, bugs, animals, plants, money, oh, yeah. food, food is important ah, yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, names of dishes, whether or not this or that animal is edible. Um, <laughs> yes. What questions do you have about that? Or well, what, no what question. Like I just, no, I, you told a story about, you know, him running a game and, Someone said, oh, well, I ate dinner. And he's like, well, what did you eat for dinner? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Professor Barker made a point of encouraging players, and not too subtly, uh, to uh, pay attention to the background in the world. And, yeah, the um, in this particular case, the party of player characters, this was very early on in my gaming there, I uh, had been sailing up the Musuma River from as I mentioned before, from the city of Jakala to they were on their way to Besu and they had stopped in the river port of Usananu. And Usananu is a lovely little town. Actually, it's, it's a fairly, by Tsoyani standards, a fairly big city, but it, it goes up, uh, it's on the west bank of the Misuma River and there's a avenue that goes pretty much from the river docks all the way up to the, the, uh, uh, 
to the west in, in higher elevations where the noble clans have their clan houses. And so, you know, that, it, that could have been it. But instead, yes, the player characters, well, well what time is it, Phil? Well, it's, it's uh, getting on towards evening. Well, I guess we'll have dinner. And yes, yes. So what are you going to eat? And people began to realize, the players began to realize that Phil wanted them to like be specific about it, right? And he was going to give them exactly what they asked for. And if they couldn't figure it out, well, that was too, well, that was rather unfortunate now, wasn't it? Uh, and I proceeded to quickly look, look things up. And I said, uh, is the, is there any vendors of Gigresa, uh, in this case, Gigresa Yal? Uh, uh, and Phil looked at me and said, oh, meat patties. Yes, yes, there are. You know, there just happens to be some, a vendor, uh, you know, a cart with spiced meat patties for sale. And, you know, suddenly everyone was, you know, having that. <laughs> uh but i mean you know th- you know th- there's there was enough references in in game materials for people to realize that if they wanted to have a a sizzling slice of a haunch of tzeel that that would be probably pretty tasty but nobody should be going out and looking for you know the uh the uh innards of a hakel uh a, a rather nasty uh waterborne creature Mm, okay. okay. Right. But and and some of this would get um like for example um like dna grain. Dna is the word that the Soyani use for the grain that they grow and you know mill and turn into you know various forms of flatbread. Um and that's distinct from what we would think of as wheat. The Tsoyani word for that is gain. And so, but using a word like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get some nagrain bread was a way that people could both have the language in use, but know from context what they were saying. Right. Right. Uh, Demi sugar was another one, you know, which mm-hmm. sugar made from the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, insect that uh, provided the that oh bug bug extracted sweets excellent yeah excellent. <laughs> yeah um so there's lots of this in world vocabulary you know it's not just a list of your basic stuff it's all sorts of uh, game and world related stuff but I found a few that I found amusing because they related to gaming um or were amusing in some other way um jadak which means to cast an energy bolt, which seems useful in this sort of game. Ah, yes. <laughs> As does uh, Neshtu, which means to practice necromancy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, uh, necromancy is such a negative word. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just pass over necromancy here for the moment. Um, I love this word because it reminds me of reading Homeric Greek. Kadlelich, um, uh, which is a vambrace which is one of those pieces of medieval, medieval or earlier armor that you only know about if you play these sorts of games or read fantasy novels or have read Homer. It's a forearm piece of armor. Um, more puzzlingly, there is the word um, kashtinarich, which means xenophobia. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why that needed to be added. But for more fun in-world, um, saftenich, which is a gambling game played with sticks. Wait, which one? Which one did you? How did you pronounce that? Uh, Salteni. Uh, Salten. 
uh, the there's a slight there's a bit more of an edge to that e saltain. Oh, saltain. Okay. Um, so that's a gambling game. Um, and I just was really amused by the word for volcano, which let's see if I can get this right, zurgshomuch, um, which is related to the word for um, mountain, obviously, but the verb in this case is zurga, which means to boil over or spout. Uh-huh. So a mountain is a boiling over, or a volcano is a boiling over mountain, which is an image I like very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that. I, mean, I just went, that, you know, that that would suggest that the the originator of that word was close enough to see it happen, but far enough away to not to be, live. Yes, right. To <laughs> <laughs> Do not himself be boiled. That's right. Yeah. So that was just, you know, a collection of stuff. And then I, I just didn't even bother to make a list of all of the many plants, animals, and fish, and so on and so forth. Oh, uh, well, are. you could go crazy with that. I could. Uh, well, yeah, a couple of other, I mean, there's actually a couple of uh, verbs here that uh, relate to some of the things that, uh, um, there's actually a borrow word here that I, I, I'll, I'll note here. I'm just looking at at one of the pages in the Soyani language. Um, there's a word for tattooing, which is now if you're using if if it's the Soyani, it to tattoo is digeo, okay. But if you're referring to the specific style of tattooing that's used by this other empire, the Livyani, mm-hmm. you know, Empire of Livyano. They're actually borrowing the Liviani word for that. It's oh, that's, it, yes. It's an interesting the the Liviani tattooing they would refer to as a music. That's and, that's that's a very that's 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 a that's a very interesting little tidbit, and I can see where he got the idea for that because that actually happens fairly often naturally in uh, in natural languages where the two cultures really do have, you know, words for the same thing. It's not like they, it's not like, um, they encountered it from each other, but the specific practice of it in another culture is referred to by the, the word in that culture. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And use. And, Speaking about energy bolts and such like, uh, the verb to telekinese something. <laughs> femure, femure, if I, I, I'm having difficulty with my umlauted hues, uh, or telepathize, to telepathize, 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 yes. Fakish. Uh-huh. You know, yes. And how often would you have an opportunity to use a verb like that? Only in game. Only, Only in game. In game. Yes. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, just uh, something that uh, occurred to me. The dictionary comes with an English to Tsoliani part and a Tsoliani to English part. The Tsoliani to English part mm-hmm. is organized according to the native ordering of sounds. Yes. So that makes it fun to use. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, so, I mean, this was also yet another way that Professor Barker really wanted people to get into understanding the constructed language was to say, well, this is how they think about how the sounds go. So there you are, you know, think there about you that, are. you know, and, and he, almost everything he did 
around this was was a way to invite you to get into it more deeply you know so whether it was using where it's like nangmuru you know which is say you know i you know hello uh or um uh you know jeguh thank you i mean those are that's nice you know that's phrase book level of familiarity but even things like how to find things and where to look and what to say and you know and thinking about how to say it cuz the phrase book that's at the end of the first volume has got some just utterly utterly great stuff in it oh it does uh, yes yeah and and the phrase book section it's uh you know we're we're coming up to the border crossing uh the border captain wishes to see you can he be bribed yes he can <laughs> give him 30 kaitars and he will let us pass you know <laughs> <laughs> my friend needs the robes of a priest of sarku yes Okay. Is he docile? That seems like a useful <laughs> question. Um, uh-uh. Anyway, uh, um, I think that's a good place to stop just talking, you know, this mention of how important it was for Barker himself to get people. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, obviously he was not encouraging people to master the language necessarily, but to, to use it as an avenue to understand the, the world that they were inhabiting during gameplay better. Oh, I, I think Phil, would have liked nothing better than if somebody had come back and had been speaking Soliani the entire time. I, I think he, I think he would have been a somewhat taken aback by it, but I think he would have liked it a great deal. So. Every conlanger wants other people to learn their language, but in terms of reasonable expectations, <laughs> what people are no. going to do. That, but that is, that is an interesting, um, it's a, a a little bit of an interesting idea of you know you're the an interesting thing to to think about when you're when if uh, people are doing these sort of role playing games because you know if you have a small group of friends that are doing a role playing game the game is tailored to you know what the interests of the players are so. For most groups, I don't think learning an entire new language would be like a thing they would be into, but might get a bunch of con language together and I, they might actually be into actually like learning Soyani. <laughs> sure. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think that's a really good place to wrap it up. Do either of you guys have any sort of final notes before we end the show? I have just one. And that is for people interested in Tecumel in general, simply go to www.tecumel.com. And Tecumel is spelled T E K U M E L.com. Yes. Right. I will um, link to that in the show notes too. So um, the Tecumel site and also uh drive through RPG page where you can buy all of the language materials, not just for Soliani, but for Engsvignali and all the other languages. We haven't talked world. at all about Sunus, which is the language spoken by six dimensional demons, which you need to use to use magic. <laughs> it, Maybe in a future episode. <laughs> in a future episode, we will come back and talk about the grammar of Sunus. We'll see. Anyway, uh, I will be seeing you guys then. Ciao. Thank you. And I'm going to say, happy Conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. 
Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. All of those are conlangery. And if you would like to hear your conlang featured on the top of the show, you can look at our contribute page. It has the instructions for what you need to translate and how to send it to me. Conlangery's web space is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our music is by Null Device.